loaded the entire crew into the truck and hauled them to the lake. It was a rare treat to swim in bright sunlight. I scissor-kicked beneath the surface with my eyes wide open, trying to touch bluegills. At night, the sunfish appeared dark green, almost gray. Here at high noon, they hung in the underwater sunbeams like electrified ornaments. If you stabbed your hand out quickly, you might brush a fin before they flashed away. Given a reprieve from gravity, I hovered above the lake bed until my lungs ached for air. Crazy Joe used to climb high in the sky over our hayfield, stall out, and then drop in a silent freefall. It put us right on the edge of our seats, waiting to hear the engine sputter and kick in. Can you imagine us, young boys in the country, playing all day with an air show every evening? Crazy Joe used to bring his plane in low, right over the garden, swoop by the house at bedroom level, dip to the clover blossoms in front of the barn, then yank back on the stick and just clear the oak trees at the end of the meadow. My brother and I would go pelting out of the house to watch. My mother had slow-motion plane-crash nightmares and dreaded the day she would have to pluck Crazy Joe from the brush. Finally, she forbade him to buzz the house, and he complied, but when he spotted us boys waving from the yard, he'd waggle his wings. One night, all the neighbors, from babes in arms to the two elderly Norwegian bachelor brothers who worked the farm adjacent to ours, queued up in a hayfield, and Crazy Joe gave everyone rides. My brother and I rode together in the seat behind Crazy Joe, and I remember the homemade stick swaying and dipping at our knees, mirroring every move Joe made in the front. He flew to our farm and banked hard over the barnyard. He looked back and hollered over the engine noise. Can you see? My brother and I nodded. You can't see, he yelled, and flung open the side doors. We clamped hold of the seat, but were transfixed. There was our yard the green shingles on our red barn, Dad's aqua-blue wheelbarrow propped on its nose in the driveway. Now we knew how it was to look down from the moon. Today the rockets come and go and we barely notice. Crazy Joe disappeared in the mid-seventies, a contrail of myth drifting in his wake. How did a billboard hanger living in the woods without electricity come to possess a jet engine? My brother and I were trading Joe stories recently and on a whim, I did a nationwide phone search. Joe Caparelli came up twice. I called the first number, in rural Tennessee. Danged if Oleander didn't answer. She's sixty now, her voice thinner, but still with the flower-child lilt I remember. She was delighted to reminisce. Crazy Joe is eighty-one years old, she says, and dying of cancer at home. She says she's written up an outline of all his flying stories. In fifth grade, an airplane flew over his school. He jumped out the window for a look and never returned. By age 15, he was building wings for Piper. In World War II, he was one of only two survivors in his squadron. She says the rumors about Korea and the Middle East aren't right, but thanks to a crash, the stories we heard about the metal plate in his head were correct. I described my memory of the moonshot, and she says I have the details right even down to the silver pliers they used to adjust the antenna. But in 1969, she says, they were living in a tent, still building the house. I can no longer say I remember watching Neil Armstrong shoot for the moon. Our summers become a conflation of memories. We see them in astounding detail, like brilliant sunfish that disappear when you try to put your finger on them. But the fascinations survive. 
I was a child in the country, living summers filled with barnstormers and astronauts. The surreal was natural and desirable. Such a profound thing, the idea that one might soar. I think of summer and I think of flying, in the air, in the water, to the moon. Convoy If you accept the hypothesis posited via airbrush on the cab of a giant purple freight liner idling behind a Nebraska truck stop, the American economy lives and dies on 18 wheels. Without trucks, the slogan says, America stops. Evidence supporting the hypothesis? Virtually everything you purchased last year, whether you sat on it, wore it, listened to it, or ate it, was delivered by one of America's 3.1 million truckers. Trains, pipelines, and ships move more bulk commodities, but in 1996, 60% of all domestic freight, 6.5 billion tons, traveled by truck. Consequently, as the economy booms, so booms trucking. As of 1998, roughly 423,000 trucking companies were desperately competing for drivers at a rate projected to add between 40,000 and 80,000 new truckers to the road every year until 2005. A January 1997 Time magazine article ranked truck driving fifth on a list of the 15 hottest fields. But who wants to be a trucker? The associations are rarely flattering. The leering sleazeball in Thelma and Louise, the cold-eyed gear jam and kidnapper in Breakdown, a goofy Sylvester Stallone arm-wrestling and dieseling a path to his son's heart in Over the Top, the Subaru Forester ad in the back of Harper's with its beastly semi veering across the double yellow on a narrow mountain road, the family survives thanks only to the Forester's zippy, evasive all-wheel drive system. The theme is repeated in any number of television commercials and reinforced on the news. Trucks run the road like rhinos on a jailbreak, usually with a spectacularly distorted passenger vehicle on their snout. And it doesn't help when some 18-wheeler looms over your trunk, filling your mirror with a pallet of dried bug guts pasted across a steel bumper the size of a chromed morgue slab. Suddenly, you're Dennis Weaver in Spielberg's duel, strung on a thin wire between terror and defiance. You hold your own, because by God, this is your road too, but what a confidence builder it must be to sit eight feet above the concrete, backed by 80,000 pounds of big mo. You look in the mirror again. I wonder, you think, what it's like up there. And so you hitch a ride with a trucker. The trouble with hitching a ride with a trucker is the lawyers. A truck wreck involving an unauthorized passenger is a litigation lollapalooza, and so most trucking companies have a no-riders policy. I knew this when I showed up with a backpack and a notebook at the trucker's jamboree in Waupon, Wisconsin, looking to hitch a ride on the Share America convoy to Reno, Nevada. By the time I got to Dave Sweetman, I was batting over and expected to be turned down again. If you can't risk the liability, I said, I'll understand. He looked me over, then stuck a thumb over his shoulder. See that? I sighted along his thumb to the lettering on the side of his big green Kenworth. Owned and operated by David L. Sweetman. Three million safe miles. He looked me square in the eye. I reckon I can make it three million two thousand. And so 
we put our tin in the wind. It's interesting what you feel up there in the prow of that big ship. Powerful, certainly, what with those 475 horses chuglin' along at your feet, the turbo holding its high, thin note, sucking down air, turning it into miles and blowing them out the twin stacks while the rest of the world sits still and falls behind. But you also feel a little tentative, a little out of control at the front end of all that length and momentum, like a flood victim sweeping downstream astride a duplex. And from up here, the cars, all of them, even the overblown SUVs, look flighty and irresponsible. They take on the nature of pests, and when they dart too close or linger too long in the vast blind spots, you want to chastise them, tell them to get clear for their own sake. They are like little piglets who fail to realize that while mommy may wish them no ill, they must give her room to operate or risk being crushed. As an owner-operator, Dave Sweetman owns his truck and leases his services to a car hauling company. Owner-operators are essentially self-employed. They enjoy more independence than company drivers, but they also have to keep a closer eye on the bottom line. Few are as established as Sweetman, and his truck, with all its accoutrements, including a stand-up shower, is not typical. Most truckers run with one eye on the road and one on the end of the month. Sweetman's business card reads, Transporter of new Rolls-Royce, Bentley, Ferrari, Lotus, Antique and Classic cars, trucks, boats, airplanes, movie, TV, and celebrity cars door-to-door. He's hauled the Batmobile and the Fred Flintstone car. He's delivered cars to Puff Daddy, Lenny Kravitz.